Welcome to The Leadership Mind. I'm your host, Massimo Bacchus. This show is about the stories, assumptions, and perspectives that either create or block our ability to lead. In this podcast, we'll speak with those that are in the arena, the leaders themselves. By trade and training, I'm a leadership coach and facilitator with a relentless curiosity for helping people, teams, and organizations thrive in pursuit of making their vision and purpose a reality. The goal is to bring you new insights, perspectives, and practices to help you lead authentically, navigate your career intentionally, and grow high-performing teams successfully. My hope is that in these episodes, you will witness humility, where we celebrate our failures as much as our successes. Curiosity, where we share wisdom and insights openly. And community, where we grow together. Let's explore the leadership mind. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Mind podcast. I'm your host, Massimo Bacchus, and today I'm joined by my friend, Adam Piandis. Adam is the founder of the Art of Masterful Communication. He's a leadership coach, mentor, consultant, and a Forbes columnist contributor, as well as an avid surfer, world traveler, and a huge fan and supporter of the Girls Athletic Leadership School. As a former collegiate athlete himself, outwardly thriving in high-pressure athletic environments came easy, while managing his emotions and internal life didn't. We'll get into more about that later, I hope. After... um, Leaning on unhealthy coping mechanisms through much of his adult life, Adam was diagnosed with thyroid cancer in 2015, which helped him learn how to slow down and start harnessing his sensitivity in a useful way. In combination with 25 years of teaching, coaching, and personal development, a master's degree in spiritual psychology, training from the Coaches Training Institute, and seeking the impact of effective communication in his own life, he developed the art of masterful communication which is a really phenomenal online course that I recommend all of you check out after listening to this. Uh, There's just a ton of value in it. Today, he guides students in over 70 countries into the most effective communication skills that have brought consistent measurable results to both their business and their personal lives. Adam, welcome. Thanks, brother. It's great to have you. Yeah, it's really, really good to be here. I like to start off all these conversations by understanding like who is the person that I'm sitting across from and how did they get to where they are today? Maybe you could give us kind of your origin story from middle school teacher, collegiate athlete to uh, a person who's really at the forefront of the zeitgeist around uh, thought leadership within the leadership development space. Yeah, sure. So I'll try to keep it as concise as possible and not try to run on too much, but I, um, you know, teaching, Teaching, facilitating um, has always come naturally to me. It's something that I find myself um, just sort of gravitating towards if I look back historically. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I was often working with kids younger than myself, working at day camps, coaching basketball at, at you know, summer camps and so on and so forth. So I always... Um, I always loved that, that human connection that comes with teaching and coaching. And it was something, as I mentioned there, that just seemed to be this inherent skill that I, I didn't really, wasn't really fully aware of at that time, but it just made sense. Um, after I, you know, I played college basketball, um, I, um, after doing so, played a little bit in Europe. It was, you know, I had a cup of coffee in Europe, as they say, it didn't last very long. <laughs> but you played professional basketball in Europe Let's in, not in, the, in, in the Finnish pro league. Yeah. in Helsinki back in the mid nineties. So Very. not a basketball powerhouse globally at the time, but, um, but still a really uh, fantastic experience. Um, when I came back, I, I started right into coaching basketball and that's when I kind of started the, my career, if you will. Uh, from there, I went on to become a middle school teacher. I taught middle school for five years. I ran a tutoring business. I trained, you know, high performance athletes in their off seasons. I was running boot camps. I was doing a lot of things in the realm of working with students uh, in a teaching and coaching capacity. I, I then did a 180 in my career, uh, like my late 20s, early 30s, and I went on to work in tech startup companies. So I worked in business development sales for about nine years where I was, I would had removed myself from what, you know, I loved doing ultimately. And 
um, I learned some really um, pivotal, critical, and important skills in these startup companies through biz dev and sales and just having to get my hands dirty. Yeah. Can I, let's pause on that for a second. Sure. Going from working with youth and athletes and um, in that space where you kind of had these inherent skills, it was part of your calling, if, if you know, we want to label it that. What was the impetus to shift and go into business development and working in startups? I mean, they're, they're two kind of very separate domains. Yeah. Well, at the time, you know, I was teaching middle school and I was teaching algebra. And I like algebra, right? I, I think it's fun. It's cool. And I stopped and said to myself, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Um, and it had run its course for me, you know, and I've, I've always been willing and open to trying new things. It's something that I, I've always been very comfortable doing, just saying, you know what, I'm just going to go this direction and see what happens. And I was living in San Francisco and it was just a natural progression of living there at the time. Like tech is part of the city. It was becoming more and more so. And so I, I moved towards it. And it really is kind of that simple in terms of what, why I made the shift. And so you spend some time in that space. Yeah. I, would, I imagine it was a bit of kind of a, a, a shift in how you showed up and, and your presence in the day going from teaching algebra to, you know, working in business development. Was it a big, was it a big internal shift for you, a big mindset shift? Or did you find that you had a lot of transferable skills that led to success there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. I, you know, it was a major shift for me. Um, teaching kids always felt playful in some respect. You know, I, I could just, you know, I got my job, I got the job done and I was a good teacher and I could be, um, I could kind of be a kid a little bit, you know, um, in that environment. Moving into tech startups, my first one, it was a little bit of a rude awakening. I mean, the, the head of the company was a former CMO of some massive organization where he was used to someone coming in and like bringing him tea in the morning and stuff. You know, it's just a really, it was just a, it was a shift. It was a shift. And, and, you know, I was then based off of a different kind of performance. You know, I was, I was, um, you know, my, my place in the company was judged per a bottom line, you know, what are the numbers, what's the quota and so on and so forth. So I was working with numbers in a very different way, you know, and, and so I, I welcomed it though. It was, it was, it was really good for me. It, it gave me some, um, gave me some business chops and helped me kind of move into the next phase after that, which was starting my own business. Did you always know that you wanted to become an entrepreneur? It sounds like there's always been kind of an entrepreneurial aspect to what you did. Even when you were teaching, you had the side business of tutoring and yeah. One. You know, I, I think for me, it was always, I, I just didn't want to work in corporate America at the time. I just, I just envisioned myself kind of going through that process and kind of starting at an entry level and then climbing the ladder. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it just, I just knew it wasn't for me. I didn't really know what was for me. Um, and it's still always a learning process, right? And so I just would, you know, I tried on teaching. It felt natural. I tried on this other thing. It was a great experience. And then it just shifted into you know, the next thing really. So that's kind of how I've approached life in many respects. Was there a catalyst for you leaving working in tech and moving into starting your own business? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I learned a lot. And as I, as I suggested, I kind of got some business chops in the process and it wasn't truly an extension, you know, of, of my heart. You know, it was, um, I knew that it, it, there was, there was, I was never really passionate about it. Um, I had fun with it. I learned a lot. Um, and I knew at some point that th there was something else for me to do. And, and the last startup company that I had or that I worked for, um, I, I ended up getting into a, a really big argument with, with the head of the company, my boss. And, and it's, it was actually a pivotal point for me in two ways. I, I, I knew I wanted to work for myself and do something that felt a little bit more intentional 
And I had a lot of work to do with the way that I managed my own emotions <laughs> because it was a pretty heated exchange at the time. So, you know, a learning opportunity on both fronts and, and, you know, in retrospect, it was probably the best thing that ever happened. Yeah. So that, that experience itself has influenced the work that you're doing with the art of masterful communication in recognizing you yourself could have communicated more effectively in that maybe coming to the same result, the same outcome, which, which you said is, is the best possible, but that you could have gotten there differently. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it was supposed to happen. Otherwise it would have happened differently. Um, And, and perhaps there was a different road that, that would have led to the same outcome. But what I'm clear on is that uh, there was a, there was really um, a lot of work for me to do to, to be able to better manage and process my emotions and then communicate them to others. Um, So, so yeah, I would say that that, that was one of the kind of turning points that unfolded at that moment and then over the next couple of years where I really got clear on terms of what, what I wanted to do, what I'm, what I'm, you know, meant to do and where my gifts, like, you know, I believe really reside. Yeah. And I, I mean, I want to talk about where you are today in just a moment, but you make this shift, you leave the last startup, you've taken some lessons learned, uh, developed some great skills. Where do you go from there? Yeah, where, where I went from there was um, down a, a really challenging road for the next, I'd say, three or four years. So if we're talking about time frame here, I left that last startup company around 2011, 2012. Um, and I had just moved down to Los Angeles from San Francisco. I'd been in San Francisco for 11 years. And so I moved down here because the company was in Manhattan Beach, which is close by. And then a couple months later, I was out of I was out of work. Um, I was also not doing well emotionally at the time. I was um, experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, insomnia, um, and it was super challenging for me at that time. So I I packed up my stuff and I went back to Boston where I grew up, and I sort of camped out at my parents' house for about eight months. During that time, I, I would see a lot of therapists and, and was just really, really struggling at my core. Um, o- over the next couple of years, I, I, you know, I, I view that as a time when I was just going through illness in general. My body, my mind, my spirit was depleted. Um, and then over time, I eventually, which I should have done probably from the onset, got a blood, few, you know, some blood tests and, and realized that I had a tumor in my, you know, in the area of my thyroid that needed to be removed. And so I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and, and then started, you know, a, a deep healing process from that point. Was that a contributing factor to the depression or is this just a constellation of both uh, physical and emotional hurt? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And then I think it raises the bigger question of, um, you know, it's a chicken or the egg kind of dilemma, right? You know, yeah. I, I believe that our physical ailments all contain an emotional root, right? And so if I'm, if there's something that's happening in my thyroid and there's an illness that resides there, well, what is the root cause of something that manifests itself in that way? So, you know, my answer to that is that I, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of emotional drivers that, that led me to that place. Right. The, I, th- I think, um, unresolved issues, um, lots of suppressed anger, um, that I used to deal with through lots and lots of partying, um, needed to be addressed. And, and, you know, my bell got rung a little bit through this diagnosis and having to go through some surgeries and removing my thyroid and, to, to start to really tap in and, and understand like what's actually happening here. Um, how is this serving me and, and how is this um, going to sort of elevate me to the next phase of my life? Yeah. First of all, thank you for sharing, not just the story about your diagnosis and in, in cancer, but talking about anxiety and depression. It, it uh, is so much less taboo than it once was. And yet yeah. 
we're still at very early stages of, of people being able to speak about it openly without judgment and, and really with other people receiving it with curiosity, even if they haven't experienced themselves, because it's a very real thing. I myself have dealt with anxiety and depression and, um, and it, it becomes a part of who you are. It's not something that just is gone forever, but it, it's woven into it's like the fabric of, of how you go through the world. If you think about that time, that three-year period, and I know so much of this applies to the work that you're doing today, where did you find strength? Where did you um, tap into the resilience to not just uh, survive it, but to come out on the other side with a greater sense of purpose and direction? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, I uh, the whole... Um the relationship between these experiences that we have or that we experience within ourselves, the anxiety, the depression, whatever sort of labels we wanna place on the multitude of different diagnoses that exist today in response to some of these things, right? Um, the relationship to those things I think is really, really important. Um, you know, you had suggested that, that those things become part of who we are, you know? And I, I might actually push back on that a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think that one of the challenges that people face when they move through those, those experiences is, in fact, attaching themselves to those labels and making it a part of who they are. Now, I, I, I totally get down. I understand what, what you're suggesting. And I think that there's like an important piece in that um, to be able to create some separation from, from these different emotions and experiences and and these labels that we place on them to say you know moving through depression is an experience that i'm having it, and it isn't essentially part of who i am you know and and i and that kind of belief system was something that really supported me in moving through my stuff i um in 2013 i i enrolled in a master's in spiritual psychology program and so all through my program, I was sick. I was not in a good place. And, and the community is really serendipitous in a lot of respects. It's like, okay, Adam, you're going to go through this stuff. And then we're going to immerse you in this community that's going to be really supportive of you to not only um, move through it, but to really get in underneath the, the kind of like you know, you have thyroid cancer and we need to remove your thyroid into more of the root causes of these things, right? And so being surrounded by a community that not only supported this type of um, mindset and approach to healing, we were in a program that was teaching us how to do it more effectively. So I was luckily immersed in a community that um, I leaned into, um, and, and in doing so, the program that I was in forced me to learn more about myself um, in the process and take some inventory and, 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 and be responsible for my own emotional well-being. So albeit really difficult time, not sleeping, having depression, anxiety, and, or, or experiencing those things, um, really just almost diving deeper into it and, and just sitting in the discomfort and doing the work to, to eventually, you know, move through it. Yeah. It's almost as though the presence of those experiences that you were having at a time when you had the opportunity to really explore them, that was the serendipitous time, but yeah, yeah. That it was present and you had an opportunity to explore it with, uh, with an education and with, with, a, a community. With a, with, a, with a lot, yeah, with a lot of guidance. Yeah. You know, I just had these teachers that had been teaching this program, which is unique in and of itself, spiritual psychology, right? And the premise of the program is that we're all souls having a human experience. And the reason we are here, the reason our souls are here is simply to learn, right? So from that perspective, it was really, really helpful for me. Because that, that is ultimately what allowed me to create some separation from these things and say, okay, like, there's something to learn here, right? And, and, and what is this trying to teach me? What is this trying to show me? And so it was, it was really supportive in that, in that manner.
Yeah. Well, I, I mean, Adam, that's the distinction that you're making. And I appreciate the, the pushback and clarification because uh, you are not the diagnosis. You are not depression. You are not anxiety. We are not our emotions. Um, but rather what you're saying, those are experiences with which we learn from. And I guess what I believe is that that's what we take with us. The learning mm-hmm. that comes from that, that that is a, that becomes a part of who we are, that we have experienced that, that we have learned from it, which creates a greater sense of not only self-awareness, but the ability to empathize and be compassionate for others because we have that like inherent wisdom that comes from it. Um, Hold on. And that's I think that's what you're speaking to, to, to not to take the words out of your mouth, but to paraphrase. No, I, I think you articulated it perfectly. I mean, I, that is. I, I like I there's nothing to add to that I, I think that that I mean that is how I that's how I view it and that's how I those are sort of the principles that I take into all the work that I do now it's like yeah once you can experience something and truly learn from it take ownership for your role in it whatever it may be um, then you truly are able to connect with others more deeply and and you've developed that sense of empathy I, I just Basically reiterating everything that you just said. No, and what you just said is, I think so central, it's central to all the work that I'm doing with with my clients, but it's central to the work that that I'm doing for myself, which is about ownership. In any conflict or struggle or trauma or stress, what's happening with the world that's literally on fire in places. I mean, uh, what ownership do each of us have to show up in the way that we want to, to take those lessons learned, to frame it in a way that is generative and helpful and um, takes advantage of, of like the abundance that's available. That is maybe the hardest thing. It is. Ownership of it. Um, but I also think it's probably the most powerful thing any individual can do. It is. And, and the, you know, I believe the reason why it's so challenging is because we're taught um, through all of our social influences to not take ownership. I mean, we, 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 you see it everywhere around us is that prominent figures or whoever it may be, or if you're consumed by the, the news and the media, it's just constantly people projecting their own stuff onto others and suggesting that the person or persons on the other side of the, the issue or whatever it is are wrong or are in fact causing my pain or my issues and so when 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 we live from that place it's really really difficult to open up to anything that it will feel abundant right because we're that's constantly in like fight or flight in a defensive mode so taking ownership of our stuff is whatever emotions come up and owning it and saying hey those are mine is perhaps the most empowering thing that, that we can do as individuals. And that's the core. If, if I were to bottom line the work that you do, and I know that it's about communication, but really what that's about is people being able to take ownership for their needs met or unmet, their feelings, and ensuring that they have authority in, in the relationship. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, that's fair. So you go through this objectively really difficult time um but take ownership and and benefit from it in the best ways possible and you come out of that um and where do you go from there yeah so there was a there was a there was a real pivotal point um in that process that that shifted my mindset completely and it's it's piggybacking on some of the things that we've that we've already discussed here. When I went to the doctors and they uh, told me, um, they said, you have thyroid cancer, right? And so I went to school. I had school the next day or a few days later. It was about a, a class of 200 people. And, and we would often, people would get up and share in front of the whole school. And then the teachers would facilitate or work with them through their process, whatever the process might be. And so I remember I stood up and I said, you know, I have, um, the doctors told me I have thyroid cancer. And, um, and the teacher looked at me and said, um, 
you know, Adam, you do not have thyroid cancer. You've been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And there's a huge difference. When you claim that you have, in your case, thyroid cancer, every cell in your body hears it and believes it to be true. And so now your body is starting to reconstruct to take on this truth as part of who you are, right? When you say I've been diagnosed with thyroid cancer, it's a lot different because you're not claiming it as part of who you are, right? And so then, so, you know, I was, that was kind of like a mind blowing little exercise there. And yeah. then, and, and, and that principle carried on for the rest of the stuff that I did from there. But th the other thing that was really powerful is she said to me, so tell me, Adam, when have you not been speaking your truth or, or something along those lines? How often are you not speaking your truth? And, you know, it was a moment where I had to kind of reflect on my life, right? And, and what I discovered is that it was actually quite often um, that I, you know, and we don't need to get into the details of what those are, but it, you know, it came to me like, yeah, I, I, I am not living in my truth. I'm not speaking up for myself. I'm not asking for the things that I want. I don't believe that I deserve some of those things that I want, right? There's these, all these like hidden storylines in there that took some time to unpack. But once I started to unpack them and I started to, to take on that principle and belief system that, you know, I have my truths and these things that happen along the way do not make up who I am. They're not part of who I am. And so I just started doing things that felt truthful with my work. And it was, I got back into coaching uh, in a different capacity. I started working with individuals on sort of life coaching. And then the reason I was always a good teacher is because I had a natural ability to be able to communicate with people. The irony is that there was a blockage in my throat where I was not speaking my truth, right? So there was this like conundrum that I had to work through. And it eventually led to me creating an online course on communication. And it was, um, it was a really magnificent uh, project and experience because it, it birthed kind of, it, it birthed the, the, the primary piece of, of our current business yeah. Still, we sell this program now as part of group coaching programs. It's been taught all over the world. And it was just this exercise of me really tapping into my gifts, which ultimately uh, for me was my truth, right? It's like, shit, I'm good at this stuff. I might as well believe that I am and then step forward and actually do the thing that I love doing, which is teaching and, and, and hopefully help others and support others. Yeah. I'm I'm curious before we like dive into the work that your company does today in the spiritual psychology program in this process of of reframing that you don't own something but that it is you know an experience that you're having and, and reframing your relationship to it was there a um, a methodology um, a, a, a book is there was there a model that you followed was it neuro linguistic processing were there different tools that you use that other people might know about or that listeners might want to look up and learn about that were tangible to help you through that, that process of finding your truth and then speaking it? Yeah, really good question. You know, we, we studied a lot of different methodologies to be able to work with our, you know, inner voice, if you will, NLP, as you suggested, a gestalt therapy, I think was a, was a huge one that we placed a lot of emphasis on in through school and that was super supportive. And for those listening and aren't familiar with Gestalt, in real simple terms, we as individuals are all comprised of many different parts, right? So if we can sort of, if we can agree to this within ourselves and we can attend to the many different parts within ourselves, um, we can be our own healers in some respects, right? We, we, become, uh, we become the drivers of our own healing process versus seeking that, always seeking that from an external source, whether it be through pills or medication or whatever it may be. Now, this isn't to suggest that outside sources aren't supportive because I'm a full believer in them. I mean, I am an outside source for a lot of people. Um, but so, so Gestalt, if, if, if you have a pain in your shoulder, 
Gestalt therapy suggests that that pain actually has a voice. So you can actually ask your shoulder, like what's going on in there? And then step in as the shoulder and say, well, I'm experiencing, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this. And so it may feel, feel really abstract and kind of crazy, but that ultimately is it, is that, you know, there's all these parts to yourself, whether it be this tangible component like your shoulder or the core of a lot of that work. And what it gets down to is it's inner child work. It's, it's being able to create some distance from that part of you that's actually in pain. And rather than taking all the pain on and believing it's part of who we are, it's creating that distance and separation and, and in doing so being able to learn from it. So I would say that that practice in and of itself was perhaps the most supportive. And when you're talking about that distance, and I think this is helpful for people listening, because I remember the first time I met with a therapist, a, a gestalt therapist, I can't remember what the emotion was, but the prompt was that I should take the emotion and sit it down on the couch next to me and have a conversation with it. Yeah. I was uh, 25 or something at the time. Right. Did not work for me. Didn't resonate. <laughs> no, no way. Right. I mean, I just dismissed it outright. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to talk to this emotion. Fast forward years later, I, you know, um, I understand it so much better in the value and, and use it in, in, various dynamics with clients but at the time it was so um just outside of the realm of possibility that i didn't understand the context of it so when you talk about this separation from your perspective adam is the idea of the separation so that you can change your relationship to it so that you can empathize with it so that you can practice self-compassion because it is a part of you but it is not you what's your framing on that just to help people understand you know, what we're talking about in the context of speaking to the shoulder, but it's, you know, it's about something much greater. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the shoulder concept, I, I get it is like, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and so if I think back when I was 25, there's absolutely no way that I was ready to, to commit to a process like this. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's raw and it's real and you have to be really comfortable in your own skin to be able to subject yourself to something like that, or even be willing to try it, right? And so, um, so, so creating the distance and the separation. So I mentioned inner child, right? So if, and I don't know if you've experienced this through coaching and teaching, and even within your own life, but you know we're all just shells of our, you know, we're we're walking around as adults, but within all of us, there's a there's a little child that has, in many respects, been unattended to, mm -hmm. right? And so anytime something happens in our, in our external world and we respond, more often than not, I would say it's, it's actually the inner child within us that is acting out, right? And so if, and if you've never heard this concept before, it can, be, it can feel a little uncomfortable, right? Like to actually sit with this idea. And so if we can get down with this and say like, all right, I'm actually comfortable enough to say that I'm going to try this on that there's, yeah. there's a little kid inside of me here. So when you do get upset is to realize that there's actually a part of you inside that is unresolved around this issue. Otherwise you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have the, the type of angry response or frustration or whatever it may be. Cause again, when we go back to this, when we go back to the idea of like taking personal responsibility, and the things that we're taught to do, we're taught to yell and scream and project and blame the other person. But when we have an emotional response, it's coming from somewhere. It's coming from within ourselves, right? And so what is that thing within us that is expressing itself, that is angry, that is frustrated, that is unresolved? Well, creating the distance from that part of yourself, we'll call it the little child, where you can say, all right, I'm responding in a way that I'm like, I'm pissed off, right? Where, where is that coming from? Well, if you can go in and actually get into it and say like, all right, like what, what's going on in there? Like, what do you need? You know, and well, I need, I need some attention. I haven't, you know, this, this pain that I have is unresolved and, and this takes work and sometimes it takes guidance, but it is, it is, 
it is a method to create some distance from the issue that resides from within so you can learn from it so that you don't attach to it so that you don't make it necessarily part of who you are you know oftentimes you like in, in kind of a different realm i'll work with people and they'll just say well you know what i'm not a good public speaker <laughs> right or i'm not i'm just not this thing i'm not good at this thing and that's a defense mechanism right so there's this part inside of them that is fearful of standing up and speaking in public. So rather than just claiming it as this thing that they're not, there's actually an opportunity to create some distance from that part of themselves and say, okay, like, why, why am I fearful of speaking? What is it about? What are the experiences in the past that haven't been healed or haven't been addressed? So, you know, you're nodding your head because I know you, you know a lot of this stuff and, and I'm not sure it actually answered the question, but that's, the relationship is more about learning from it than than anything else i would say i'm i'm nodding uh emphatically here because <laughs> you're you're speaking the truth and you're spot on and not from a place that i have all the answers at all uh but rather i just um think what you were speaking to is so valuable to every single person i mean i i fundamentally believe that if everyone could practice self-compassion, which is really ultimately what we're talking about at its yeah. core, um, that, that it would fundamentally change the way in which we operate as a society. Couldn't agree more. The way that we speak to each other, whether it be in line at the grocery store or in a boardroom meeting or with our children or our, our significant others in, in all contexts. And you're right, it is a it's a long journey and it's a process and it's not something that, that, that happens overnight and, and guidance for it is helpful. Um, but it all stems from understanding what our unmet needs are yep. and recognizing that we all have them. And, you know, earlier you were talking about um, how we have like these societal influences that um, create these defense mechanisms, you know, that we, we blame, we deflect, we don't take ownership and responsibility I also believe that there is a tendency in our society to not be needy. And so we don't reflect on what are, what are my needs that are not being met and how are they um, being impacted, whether they're driving emotions that we're having um, or the emotion is causing it. And it's this disconnect and that we, we all are needy. And that's an, that's an okay thing to be human is to have needs. And it's our responsibility as humans to find out what those needs are and meet them because you can't really meet the needs of others if you don't have your own needs met. Yeah, that's brilliant. And, you know, I couldn't agree more on the self-compassion piece. You know, we, we have the online course that I mentioned before, which is called the art of masterful communication. It's a 12 module online course. The first six modules focus on what I refer to as your internal communication, obstacles, fear, self-awareness, choice, and then the external communication is listening, asking powerful questions, all the stuff we do in our external world with others involved. And I, and I make this strong claim in the program that self-compassion, which is the sixth module, is the bridge that connects internal communication to external communication. So it is, I could not agree more um, that the practice of self-compassion is so important. I had to use it this morning. I, I got into a little bit of a back and forth with a friend of mine that um, I responded pretty quickly and I responded through frustration and anger. And I was, I was quick, we were quick to resolve it, but there was a tale after that, that, that I carried with me for a little bit, right? I, I had some shame around it. I had some guilt around it. And so the practice of self-compassion is really, really important. And in and, and a real simple exercise that people you can put yourself through is that you realize that the shame and the guilt that I was carrying in this experience this morning are simply judgments that I'm holding against myself, right? I'm judging myself for what had just transpired. So if you can recognize that those are just self-inflicted judgments, you can simply say, you know, I forgive myself for judging myself for, you know, not being a good friend or, you know, 
not being able to listen appropriately or not being a good teammate or whatever it is. Because the truth is, and then whatever the truth may be after that. So it's, you know, I forgive myself for judging myself for whatever that judgment is. And then make a truth, a truthful statement. You know, I'm, a gr- I'm like, this is one of my best friends. Yeah. I love this person. Yeah. You know, and, and that can be so incredibly supportive. It's, uh, it's catching that narrative. So many times we will go back into the judgment of ourselves and then that will become, oh, I always do this. Yes. I always mess this up. I always, you know, say the wrong thing. I, you know, I always uh, make the same mistake. And the reality is like, that is not true, but you have to find that other, that other truth statement. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, so self-compassion is the bridge between the internal and the, and, and the external world. Your like the next phase of your work, Adam, is around modern leadership and how the art of masterful communication, this balance between our internal experience, self-awareness and self-management, and our external experience of relationship awareness and relationship management. How do you see that manifest when we think about modern leadership and building leaders at, at all levels of organizations? Because the landscape has changed and it's not going to be the way it was before. And as you've said, there's greater diversity and dispersion than there ever has been in history within the workforce. Mm-hmm. How does this tie into modern leadership? What can leaders take from this, this conversation uh, into their organizations and teams? Yeah. Good stuff, Massimo. I, I, um, so this idea of modern leadership is something that I've really been focused on um, as of late right, is to be able to sort of encapsulate the work that we do at our organization, you know, and, and we, I am a believer that, um, of two things really, that everyone inherently has leadership ability, right? True. And, and every organization has an opportunity to develop all of their employees as leaders, if they choose to do so, if they want to make a commitment to do so, right? And so this notion of modern leadership is one that supports the idea that everyone has inherent leadership abilities, right? So if we look at what we'll call a paradigm shift that's happened is happening, you know, the old form of leadership in many respects, the the old paradigm is, you know, you have a boss, there's a boss, and there's a lot of orders that are being directed towards others. There's commanding of others. There's a lot of evaluating that takes place. And it's not to suggest that evaluating isn't important on some level and, and gatekeeping, right? Like this is kind of my terrain over here. And like, we're, this is the upper echelon and you're kind of down there and let's just keep it that way type of thing. And the shift that's happening now is more into this idea of modern leadership, which is there's an inherent understanding that if we're talking to each other, that I am viewing you as a leader. I view you as somebody who is capable fully of making choices and decisions and coming to solutions on your own. Um, So from that mindset now, everyone takes on more of kind of a coaching, puts on their coaching hat. And this is more of um, an an encouragement, acknowledging, like, I know that you're fully capable, so I'm going to ask you questions to help you get to the answer from within yourself. Because studies show that when a person um, arrives at their own insight, right, they are exponentially more likely to take action. So if I have a team of people around me, rather than telling them all what to do, if I can get them to create their own insights in terms of what's the best way to approach these things, well, now I've got a team of people that are, they're gonna get after it, right? And they have my full support. Because I don't wanna tell them what to do. I don't know what they should do in many respects. We may work towards a a common goal, but I would be fooling myself if I ever thought that I had the power to know what's best for another person, right? And so, that's that idea of modern leadership. And, and so communication becomes the foundational piece of it. And a modern leader has to know what their own fears are, what their own obstacles are. They have to be able to practice self-compassion. 
and have a sense of self so that they can extend, as you had suggested earlier, extend that empathy out to others and extend the notion and the idea that everyone around them is fully capable. So, th so it, all, it all works together. And, and, and the last thing I'll, I'll sort of respond to is that um, the workforce is, is now more dispersed than ever. And the workforce will continue to become more diverse than ever as well as we move forward. And so this idea of modern leadership becomes incredibly important within organizations and out because through diversity, there's like curiosity has to be a core piece of how we communicate with one another, right? And curiosity is what fuels this idea of modern leadership as well, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious about how you work best. I'm curious about what your, your powers are. So I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to bring that, help you bring that out of yourself so that you can thrive and therefore really help me thrive in the end. So those are, those are some thoughts. Let me ask you about curiosity. Um, it's a, it's a word that's thrown around a lot now more than ever. And my fear as a, as a leader of an organization, as a practitioner is that when not fully understood, um, curiosity can be used as a half measure. It can be used as a crutch. It can be uh, performed, but not truly demonstrated. Um, the simplest example of that would be someone asking questions, but really they're just formulating a response. Mm -hmm. We see that often. Um, I would say that's not curiosity. It's not, but no. people could believe that it is. I've, I've seen people believe that it is, that it's like, well, I'm asking a question, therefore I'm being curious. Well, th like, this, this becomes a question of authenticity. Yeah. So say more about that. Yeah. So, so what, what, you know, so there's the elements of authenticity and vulnerability come into play when we're talking about curiosity, right? So I can bullshit I'm sorry if I'm, I swore. I don't know if that's acceptable here, but uh, quite acceptable. You're all right. All right. Cool. Yeah. Um, I tend to do that a lot. And so I'm really practicing on not doing it as much. But, uh, you know, we can call it bullshit and, and, and say, like, if, if you're going to be curious about somebody else, there is um, an energy that, that, that is at play here, right? So is the energy that's driving that curiosity coming from a place that is truly authentic, right? Is it coming from a place where the person asking the question is willing to be vulnerable in the sense that they're saying that they don't have all the answers, right? And so when those elements are at play and the person is coming from a place of authenticity and is truly curious, then they're curious, right? However, to say that, okay, now everyone, you, you, we want you to be curious with your team members and da 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 da, and you know, you just kind of go through the motions. Well, you can really do a lot of damage um, in that process as a leader and on the receiving end of that sort of messaging, because at the end of the day, what we're trying to establish is trust with one another. And trust is formed from creating authentic connections with one another. And so if the connections are inauthentic, then trust will not happen. And so just kind of going through the motions of curiosity, just asking questions for the sake of asking questions, and then coming at them with their own solution is it's a, it's a big ego play and it, and it turns into a massive power struggle. And it, it really doesn't lend to any sort of like advancement for anyone involved. So that would be my response to that. I think what, what really stands out to me about what you're saying is that vulnerability is almost a precursor to truly being curious because you were inquiring about the unknown. Absolutely. And that is a vulnerable act. It is. Because in many respects, you're saying a few things. You're saying, I, I don't need to have all the answers, right? I may have an opinion on how this is supposed to be done, but I'm going to detach from that for a minute here. And I'm going to, you know, open myself up to 
the unknown, as you just suggested. And when, when we think about kind of the, the old um, hierarchical infrastructure, and that still exists, is that there's, there's a leader and there's a subordinate, right? And so now what ends up happening, which I think is incredibly powerful through curiosity, like true authentic curiosity, is that the playing field starts to flatten out a little bit here, right? It's like, all right, I may have a VP role and you may, you may have this like, whatever your role is, call it just like an independent worker, right? Um, being willing and able to, to, to flatten the, the lines out a little bit here and meet that person in the eye where they're at is I think the truest expression of leadership that, that's available to all of us. Well said, well said. I wanna be respectful of your time. I wish we had more, cause I feel like we're just scratching the surface of the type of conversation, the type of things that leaders need to be thinking about that um, cannot be in the periphery. They need to be front and center um, as we go forward because the conversation is going to get more difficult going forward. And if leaders can't come to a place of truly seeking to understand the needs, the unmet needs, what's actually happening for the employee and what information they may have that needs to be unlocked, um, we're gonna get stuck in an antiquated version of leadership. And that's what you're speaking to. And companies, uh, and companies will fold. <laughs> and companies will fold, for sure. Will crumble. Um, Adam, before we go, where can people learn more about you and your programs? Yeah, first of all, I really, I really enjoyed the conversation. It, it felt like it, it flowed nicely and you're, you're really good at this. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed um, it. And so the, probably the best place is um, at our website, which is adampiendes.com. That's P-I-A-N-D-E-S. We have... Um, excuse me, we have our, primarily we have our corporate programs on there. I, I do some individual coaching. I take on a few clients per year. And um, so, and we're, we're rolling out some individual programs as well. Uh, we have a Facebook group that is uh, called Modern Leaders. So it's, um, oh man, I think it's facebook.com slash groups slash modern leaders. Um, and we just launched it recently. We have a couple hundred members and I do a live Facebook chat within the group every Thursday. And so people are welcome to join. And right now I'd say those are probably the two best places to find us. Uh, we're doing some other things, launching some other stuff, but right now I'd say those are probably the best places. That's awesome. Well, uh, it's always a pleasure to connect. When we first met, it was uh, one of those kind of kindred spirit things where, you know, fast friends and um, you're a wealth of knowledge, but, but most importantly, you're a great person doing great things in the world. And I appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Look forward to doing this again sometime. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Leadership Mind. Remember, the mind is the connection between our being and doing, our intent and our actions. Make sure to visit our website, massimobacchus.com, where you can like and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Anchor FM, and Apple, so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found the episode valuable, please rate the podcast on your preferred platform or share it with your community. Until next week, remember to lead with compassion, curiosity, and gratitude. Great leadership is a gift.